Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysey. I'm joined, as always, by Don Pizzette. Happy belated St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. Day. Yeah, it's a happy green day. I assume everybody's consumed copious amounts of green beer and uh, paid attention to major bodies of water that have been dyed green. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Princes of Ireland, and it's about like the history of Ireland. They, and they just had the St. Peter chapter. Nothing about green beer, so I don't know if uh, that's historically inaccurate or if the book is broken. It's probably in the Lord of the Dance chapter when you mm. get to that one. Okay, so that, that came later. Ian yeah, Flatley. <laughs> and Daniel, how are you today? I'm contemplating whether or not Green Day named themselves after St. Patrick's Day and just some sort of obfuscation. You know, I have no idea. Yeah, We'll have to look that up. We'll get to that next or week. Or not. <laughs> Probably not. No, forget about that. Can't wait to not do that. Yeah. <laughs> and we are joined by Eyal David. Uh, I think I said that right. I used the Hebrew pronunciation uh, that he taught me. Going Correct. Fancy. Was that close? As close as you ever get. <laughs> that's that's all that's all I can tell. What I heard was there's no hope. Yeah, for he's you. like no, nope, <laughs> no. Nope. And uh, Al is the chief strategy officer at Model Nine. So thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. And we have determined that that is a fake, uh, beautiful office behind you, but it does look like the Model Nine office. But normally there'd be people in those chairs and, and things like that. So. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's the plan. One day. Yeah. He's going to show up to work and be like, where is everyone? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get to know you a little bit more in our first segment, which is Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Ale. In this segment, what we're going to do is throw some questions at you, rapid fire style, which means you will have approximately one minute to answer each question. You'll see a timer appear on your screen. If you go longer than a minute, Peter will buzz you like that, and then we'll move on to the next question. So we're going to kick off with the first question coming from who? Peter. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, first, can you just kind of give us the high-level overview of Model 9, what you guys are all about there? Model 9. Yeah, Yeah. of course. So um, Model 9 uh, provides the uh, cloud data management uh, solution for mainframes. We're all about helping customers get their mainframe data into the cloud. So mainframe data today is completely siloed off in legacy infrastructure, and it's extremely difficult to uh, leverage it in any other way. And we help customers modernize their mainframe infrastructure, leveraging modern scalable storage solutions, either in their private, public, or hybrid cloud in a way that uh, allows them to have a more flexible access to resources, better cost, better performance, and the ability to leverage that data with any uh, kind of downstream open distributed applications such as their data lake or their cyber resiliency or anything of, of that sort. Well, that's no joke. I definitely have been around that kind of thing where Don and I, we worked with a company that had mainframe and it oh, cost yeah. tons of money. Yeah, it, expensive, and you know you had limited clients. Like we still had dummy terminals way after we shouldn't have had those things. So <laughs> green screens and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, you know it's just amazing how that hardware managed to stick around. Now, Al, I know you mentioned on your LinkedIn bio that uh, it's kind of your mission to disrupt. Hang on, I'll, I'll read it right off your bio. Uh, <laughs> you're on a mission to disrupt the 50-year-old mainframe industry. Uh, you know, absolutely true. It is certainly 50 years old, but I kind of feel like it's already disrupted pretty heavily because of distributed computing. What what are you doing that's having a big impact on them? 
So uh, one thing to note and, re and remember is that mainframe is still in uh, mass use across the industry. Every single time, every each one of us makes a phone call, transacts a credit card transaction, goes to the bank, goes to the doctor, chances are some piece of data gets written to a mainframe somewhere, especially in the large kind of uh, Fortune 2000 companies. And they are at the same time under heavy pressure to uh, do more with the data, to consolidate between their open systems and their existing legacy systems. And they're extremely challenged to do that because by nature, mainframe is a monolithic environment. So when we say disrupt, we mean the ability to kind of bridge that gap between the mainframe infrastructure and the open infrastructure and connect these two worlds that are hardly connected today. Yeah, it's funny. One of the uh, COBOL programmers I used to have to deal with uh, who worked on it, he was like, mainframe's never going anywhere. So just go ahead and get over it. That's never going to happen. And he kind of had a, a point at the time because a lot of those mainframe, those like data formats that they use, they weren't very compatible with newer types of like server environments. How are you handling that with Model 9? So that is a, a very fundamental challenge. Um, the first thing you need to understand about, if you're coming from open systems, the first thing you need to understand about mainframe systems is that you don't know anything <laughs> and, <laughs> and that um, files are actually files, backup isn't actually backup um, and things work differently because as we remember mainframe infrastructure and architecture predates everything we know about uh, the open systems and model nine has deep expertise both in the mainframe side and in the open distributed cloud side to be able to kind of translate and transform between these two worlds. So we know how to take the data out and we know how to make it available for open systems due to our uh, kind of deep IP and understanding of how data is formatted, structured, manipulated, and managed on the mainframe. So, so it seems like you're onto something here with Model 9 because I, I was reading, uh, Gartner said that more than a third of mainframe backup uh, and archive data will be in the cloud by 2025. So do, based on you, know, you being in the weeds there, do you, do you agree with that assessment? Do you think it's gonna be quicker than that? I think that it might be even quicker than that. I think that the flow of data to the cloud has started in a big way from mainframe has started in a big way in, the, in recent years and is just going to accelerate. As, as I mentioned earlier, there is massive pressure to um, activate and make the data on mainframes consumable uh, by other systems. It is completely siloed off, can't be used. So there's massive pressure to do that. The best place to use and leverage that data would be in the cloud. On the cloud, you have massive scalable uh, modern um, analytics and AI systems that are just simply not available on the mainframe. If you push the data out there, you can leverage these modern systems uh, in ways that are, are simply not available on mainframe today. So so you said the, the, the best place is the cloud, but I, I saw on your site that you guys also will work with backing things up on-prem. Is that is that the case still? So when we say cloud, we, we mean kind of uh, private, public hybrid. We're looking at a cloud architecture. Often customers would choose to deploy an on-prem private cloud environment, or as more common, is becoming more and more common today to actually have a uh, hybrid cloud environment where some workloads run on-prem, some workloads run in the cloud, Sometimes you do the analytics on the cloud and then you pull back the, 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 um, the insights. And this is actually tied 
to our approach where we don't like forcing their customers to choose. You're either here or there, you're on the on-prem or in the public cloud, you're either on the mainframe or off in the mainframe. We believe that we can support the customers by building kind of a bridge between these two worlds, allowing them to take their time, start gaining value quickly, but also reduce the risk and have a gradual process as they modernize their infrastructure. All right, that makes sense. I think we have a better understanding of Model 9 now. So let's, uh, while we have you here, let's, uh, let's talk about the big science and tech news um, this week in our next segment, Science and Tech News. Stay tuned for Science and Technology. And now, back to the Anchor Desk. All right, so we're looking at an article this week from datanami.com uh, that says, cloud is the new center of gravity for data warehousing. And that seemed to be uh, right up your alley here. So uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on well, on this article specifically? And, and uh, do you agree with that uh, assessment that the cloud is the new center? I mean, it sounds like you do. <laughs> yeah, def <laughs> de definitely. And, and I think a, a key reason is that um, when, when kind of big data came to life, right? We started talking about big data, I don't know, 20 years ago. Um, and we knew it's not always about the volume. It's about the different types of data and the different kinds of data that, that you can leverage, but also about the volume. And since then, data volumes have just grown and grown. And it be has become more apparent that where the data lives, it's easier to bring the applications. It's easier to run analytics. So, um, once you start moving the data and consolidating it uh, where you want to run your more uh, demanding workloads, where you want to run your most kind of in-depth analytics and, and, and scalable processes, that's where you should have it. But uh, one of the challenges, especially when it comes to mainframe data, that it is, uh, as mentioned earlier, completely locked away. Sometimes, and even in physical tapes that are sitting in a, in, in, sitting in a, in a, in a bunker somewhere, and because you don't have that access, you can't run the analytics. So as we help customers move that data and basically move that center of gravity to the cloud, we enable those applications. We allow for future workloads to move to the cloud as well, but more so we allow for uh, the customer, we allow the customers to um, have the best of both worlds in that sense, having their mainframe applications for now at least run still on their mainframe infrastructure, the, the proven robust mainframe infrastructure that they have, but at the same time have the data live in a private or public cloud alongside the rest of the organization of data. So they have one data repository, one version of truth, and one place they need to go to to start doing their advanced processing of the data. Now, I'm curious, you know, we, we focus on the data. The data is obviously the valuable part here. And when it's stored in the mainframe, it's probably stored in some proprietary format. So we, we get that moved out. We get it into the cloud, hopefully stored somewhere that's a little more open and accessible. Are you finding that, that people are having to rewrite their applications to integrate with that? Or are, are you actually able to just kind of redirect the existing applications? Because I know some mainframes, Daniel and I joked about dummy terminals. You know, they, they, were, they were pulling their entire user interface from the mainframe. So that, that's something that seems like it'd be really difficult to transition across. So what, what does that look like from the client side? So, so that's a, a, a great point because you're touching on one of the biggest pain points that customers who have an existing mainframe infrastructure and are looking to modernize are facing. They 
need to undergo this massive replatform, re-architect, rewrite, or, or rebuild project that can take years. We're talking about projects that take three, five, seven years to go through and are extremely risky as they touch kind of the core business of uh, of these customers. The core business of these banks and, and insurance companies and healthcare providers runs on those mainframes. So these are dangerous, risky projects. And uh, the approach we bring to the table would allow them to um, move the data first without completely revamping their applications day one, start enjoying the benefits of cloud data management, and then over time make more kind of conscious, gradual decisions about what needs to live where. And yes, mainframe isn't going away that quickly. Mainframe is a is 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 a big will be a big part of the data center for quite a few more years, we believe. And the ability to have that to live in that hybrid state while you're modernizing uh, is, is brings significant value to these customers as they go through these digital transformation projects. Are there any security concerns or advantages for, by moving away from the mainframe and going into? Yeah, that's uh, what cloud? I was wondering too. Because you're, I mean, as Don put it too, you're going from somewhere that is um, kind of tightly controlled, yeah, really tightly <laughs> controlled, and putting it on, on the cloud. So, how do you guys address that? So um, what we always work with the customers is to how do we integrate well within their broader cloud strategy? If they chose to build a private cloud on-prem, that's fine. If they chose to build a, uh, a public cloud on a, on a pub, public cloud provider, that's great as well. And we work with them in that same context, maintaining all the security and, 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 uh, and protection profiles that they had on the mainframe while managing the data uh, on that cloud resources. So we have the ability to work with the customers within their kind of security profiles, not compromise their existing infrastructure and put the data on the cloud. Naturally, um, a customer who chose to implement uh, part of the solution in the cloud uh, has a more broader kind of cloud security approach that we should be integrating in. All right, I'm convinced. I, I have a mainframe in my uh, in my eating kitchen, so I will contact you and uh, get all that data over. So, how would I go about uh, reaching out to you if I wanted to learn more? Uh, so, first of all, the first place you should go is uh, www.model9.io. That's our website. Uh, all of our product information, uh, current events, uh, our 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 blogs. Um, you can also check us out on our LinkedIn profile. And, uh, and, and Twitter. Um, I want to share that uh, some exciting things that came up in that last week. We, uh, we announced that our solution is available on the um, AWS marketplace and stay tuned. We're also going to be available on the Azure marketplace very soon to help customers consume um, the uh, mainframe organization side alongside their kind of cloud existing cloud strategy. Uh, we also, if you go to our website, you can also find a, a recent webinar we did with the um, AWS QuickSight team on how to take mainframe data all the way into uh, QuickSight for analytics. That's recorded on our uh, website. And uh, a few upcoming industry events uh, with uh, some of our uh, on-prem partners such as Cohesity and Hitachi are coming up next month. Uh, you're welcome to join. Um, these are very interesting solutions that can solve your problems on-prem or in the public cloud. And that's good to know too. You guys, so you guys are uh, vendor agnostic when it comes to cloud, Azure, AWS, 
I don't Google Cloud if anyone's on there. <laughs> There's some. Yes, so, uh, uh, I won't comment on the last one, but yes, we work with all the uh, private and public uh, object storage providers, so we can take you to the public cloud. We can work with you with your on your on-prem infrastructure. Very cool. All right, model9.io. Be sure to check that out. Well, I all th uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the news. So stay tuned uh, for more Technated with Don Pezet coming up right after this. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, it helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training and last year alone they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. Thank you so much to AL David for joining us from Model 9. I like what you guys are saying that, you know, what happened with the first date? <laughs> Models A through G. It's like Heinz 57. We're not that great, but <laughs> our preparations A through G. We're not that great, but preparation H Nailed feels it. good yeah. Hit the spot. on the yeah. whole. <laughs> yeah, E hurt. Yeah. yeah I mean, it did more damage than good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, H, H nailed it. That's it. All right, well, let's get to the news this week. And our first article is from bleepingcomputer.com. 7-Zip Developer releases the first official Linux version. Now, have there been unofficial versions to this point or, yeah. or workarounds? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of 7-Zip is open source. And so people have taken a stab at compiling it over into uh, compatible Linux versions. Also, people have run it inside of Wine. So hmm. the, the Windows emulator or Wine is not an emulator, whatever, you know, yeah. but, but people run it that way. Uh, so this is the first time the developer themselves have actually stepped forward and said, all right, we're going to release the 7-Zip archiver to run natively on Linux. Now, if you're not familiar with 7-Zip, um, you probably are. <laughs> you probably don't run Windows. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good point, right? Yeah. So uh, archives. Zips are the most common, but you get uh, tar gzip files yeah. in Linux. You get DMG files in Mac OS or IMGs. You know, there's all sorts of different archives. Yeah. Uh, RARs, the RAR files, if you bootleg software. Uh, I don't think anybody legitimately uses <laughs> RARs. Uh, but anyhow, these are all archive formats that are out there. And 7-Zip was always nice because it was free. You just go to 7-zip.org and download it on, on Windows, and you get a nice command line and GUI uh, archiver cool. that yeah. could create and extract archives. So really useful, uh, very popular software. Yeah, they also have it for Mac, but now they have it for Linux. Now, the Linux version is a command line utility, so it's not a GUI. I don't, I don't know if they're planning on doing a GUI or not in the future. Uh, but in Linux, you know, we have a whole suite of different tools that we can use, like Unzip and Gzip and all those guys. Uh, so those are already there. But here it kind of rolls it all under one umbrella, which is the 7zz command. So you could do 7zz and extract just about any archive or use 7zz to create just about any archive. So kind of a neat one out there if you're looking for an archiver. Yeah, it'll definitely. Justin and I used to talk about like if, if we had your family kidnapped, guns to their head, and you've got to put in the perfect tar command... Uh, like no mistakes or they're done i'll be like i miss you baby because yeah. i'm about to mess this up horribly uh and i like seven zip it's been a great like i've used it in windows when i when i bounce around on windows it's always my go-to 
when I'm like, hey, I need to unzip something. And God knows, for whatever reason, they put this in the 7-zip format, yeah. so I'm going to use that. Now, there is a little word of caution, and Daniel, you can probably speak to this better. Uh, archivers are kind of a sensitive thing because oh, yeah. many of them have self-extracting archives or the ability to execute a binary from inside of the archive when you extract it. So there's a little bit of a security concern there. I don't know what uh, security review this has gone under. And uh, Daniel, wasn't like there was some kind of bypass you were able to use to yeah. get elevated privileges through some extractor? Yeah, it was TAR. Yeah. It was TAR. Yeah, okay. I used TAR. TAR's got a... Um, like you said, it's able to execute. You basically say, hey, I want to like checkpoint stuff before we continue down the road. And well, how do you want me to checkpoint? Well, I want you to run this command and maybe like look at the, the you know, the integrity of the file or something or whatever. But it'll take any command you want. And if it's running with some sort of elevated privileges, then you can abuse those privileges, drop me a shell and yeah. Damn. So yeah, it's it's totally got its issues. So be aware that uh, you know it's most likely very safe to run on your desktop if that's where you're running Linux, but you might want to hold off a little bit. Just give it give it a, a couple of months to cook out there in the public before you start throwing it on your server. <laughs> yeah, always always sound advice. Never be on the bleeding edge. Always wait to see. Oh, those people are they're having a bad day. Good thing I didn't do that. So yeah. so question here. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm the kind of uh, computer novice who, when I want to compress a file, I, I right-click and hit compress, compress. with the automatic <laughs> one that's there. Yep. What is the benefit to to me going out and saying, no, I want this compress? Does it get it smaller? Sure, yeah, yeah. usually that's okay. the case. Um, RAR is a very aggressive archiver that will get the files to be pretty small. Uh, it's got one of the best compression algorithms. 7-zip uh, also is a, a better, or 7-z, I think is what they call it, yeah. um, is a better compression algorithm, so you can get it smaller. Most people aren't worried about space these days, though. Nah, we're good on space anymore. I got right? gigs. Drives are I pretty got gigs good. for yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so at that point, they're more worried about compatibility, and that's why just regular zip or the old PK zip standard is kind of the the default archive format. So, if I use seven zip to compress it, do you need seven zip to, to yes. open it then? Okay. Yep. Or something compatible with that. There you go. Seven zip being a great one. All right. <laughs> yes. Compatible with itself. That's good. Yeah, I know. It's uh, That was a good forethought on there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah we forgot to make the thing to extract it. Uh, yeah. we just... Son of a bee. Well, you know, like, where I always found it valuable was like on a Mac, because Macs would handle oh, right. zip files. That was fine, but they wouldn't handle RARs, yeah. uh, really old ARJs that I had laying around, stuff like that. And so you could just get 7-zip, and you knew it could open anything. There you right. go. There you go. And now you can open anything on Linux. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, our next article is from TheVerge.com. <laughs> Zoom Escaper lets you sabotage your own meetings with audio problems, crying babies, and more. I thought that was a 90s alt-rock band. Zoom Escaper? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So, uh, you know, normally awesome. when we hunt for articles to report on here on TechNado, we are looking for amazing technological advances. <laughs> I did push the limits of our rules a little bit for this article, but I thought it was so Never. awesome. <laughs> um, so now you can't get away with it because you're like exposing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, people are reporting that they're having Zoom fatigue, right? Uh, more of us are working from home. I know I am in Zoom meetings every single day. I just came from a Zoom meeting before we started this. Well, there you go. Yeah, uh, my Mondays uh, are, are literally meetings from morning until evening that's that's how i spend my mondays and and it sucks and so somebody else thought the same thing and they created a neat little tool that you can run on your desktop that allows you to simulate any number of reasons to get out of a zoom call including crying babies bad internet connections it can actually degrade your your audio uh it can create an 
Echo? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to run. There's uh, <laughs> a, tornado a prison, being, a prison being attacked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're finally um, coming for us. Yeah. The Echo one is kind of my favorite. Like, oh, something's wrong with my microphone. Yeah. It's feeding back. Uh, uh, my uh, favorite is the bottom right on this image. <laughs> Urination. Urination. Wait, yeah. what is that? The Oh, I forgot to... Turn off the audio when yeah. I went to the bathroom uh, with the I'm, mic on? No, I was thought it was like, I'm peeing in like a Sprite bottle here. Yeah, right. do you have a stadium buddy oh, down there? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being peed on right now. I need to, <laughs> I need to run for this movie. Yeah, this is fantastic. Construction I, noise. Uh, yeah. I saw a thing the other day that was... Uh, uh, it was a meme showing like skipping school in the 90s and it was like a kid climbing a fence and it was yeah. like skipping school today and it was the mute button <laughs> and the camera off yeah. button, button just camera off button. with a little yeah. slash through it so yep. uh, yeah that's that's the new way to do it well this is this is fun I, I hate that I can't use this now because I know Don is aware of it <laughs> yeah. what we well, gotta do is they need to make a plug into where we can create our own interruptions mm. that would be great if you want to check it out, just go to zoomescaper.com, oh, and it's a web application. You don't have to install it or anything. You can run it right from there. Uh, it does need access to your microphone in order for some of the effects to work. So, again, standard privacy concerns uh, are involved, but otherwise, it's uh, it's pretty neat. So, uh, I, if I could make a custom one, I would be like accidental amputation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. The neighbor just cut his hand off. You hear the, the chainsaw? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, asking for a friend, but this would work on Teams then because... It, uh, it it does it just it gives goes it a hook in the, the microphone or, no? or is it like yeah. a, a soundboard? So it uses a there's a program called VB Cable yeah. that creates a virtual audio device like a virtual sound card on your computer. Uh, yes. I know that works under Windows. I don't know about other operating systems, but it taps into that to create a virtual microphone. Nice, and and so that's what you use. So in it should work on Teams. I haven't tried it, but it should. Man, I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> it feels like the person that made this is like a huge fan of like sub seven or something. You know, like do all these crazy things to people's computer. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. All right. Uh, I mean, you know, out of uh, necessity breeds invention. That's so true. We're gonna have all these great tools after this pandemic pandemic is over. All right. Uh, I'm I'm double checking today that I go in the Did right you order. Go in the right I'm order. going. To, I'm like one. Peter loves this. to skip an article, and <laughs> that is correct. Ars Technica. Yep. Our next <laughs> article is from Ars Technica. Uh, Apple will randomize Mac serial numbers starting this year. The new system may be more cryptic for IT users and repair shops. So. Right now, they're just going in order as they come down the assembly line. They're just stamping the next number on it. Yeah, so uh, so Mac serial numbers. If you just go to the store and buy one Mac, you never notice this. But if you're a company and you buy a batch of 10 or 100 Macs, you'll notice that they're all in order. The serial numbers, they come right off the batch. You can predict the upcoming serial numbers. Now, um, they're switching to a randomized pattern, so it won't be synchronous or uh, all in order anymore, which... The headline says, you know, oh, it'll be more cryptic for IT users and repair shops. Uh, nobody cares, right? So that's not, yeah. not You still really. double check each time, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's still a serial number. It's not like it rolls right off your tongue. <laughs> I know. So that, I, was that like, I, was, I was really hoping to give a crap, Don. <laughs> but, but where it was a challenge is, you know, Apple has really strict rules about uh, virtualizing Mac OS mm. and strict rules about running it on non-Mac hardware. So most of you have heard of Hackintoshes, where you build a computer with off-the-shelf parts and then run Mac OS on it. So... Apple makes their money on the hardware, not the software, and they don't want you to do that. Also with virtual machines, where you might have a Windows machine and you're running macOS in a virtual machine. Again, Apple doesn't make money on that, so they don't want it to happen. 
Well, many people have caught wise to the fact that the serial numbers are all in order. And so they're able to guess a valid serial number of a piece of hardware that doesn't belong to them, right? That belongs to somebody else. And what do they care about somebody else? So they can recycle that serial number to create a virtual machine or to create a Hackintosh to help kind of pass some of the software checks that Apple uses. So Apple's going to use randomized serial numbers. And I haven't seen the random numbers yet to know how random it is. Uh, you know, Microsoft did a really good job of doing that 25-digit alphanumeric code for their serial numbers for years, and nobody could figure out the pattern. You know, everyone wasn't a valid number. Mac serial numbers are much shorter, so I don't know how random they can be considering the volume they sell. So They're it, adding emojis is what they're going to do. That would do it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be a good idea. I like emojis. You have actually solved a, a, a long mystery for me, Don, with this article. It's because I always said, man, Macs, their hardware is phenomenal. Everything about the like the look and the feel and the experience with the thing, it's very sturdy. Like the screen, the you know, the keyboard had its issues with that mm -hmm. butterfly thing. That was a debacle. But the, <laughs> um, the trackpad, everything about it was really top-notch. But man, does this operating system suck, right? <laughs> and now I get it, right? They make money off the hardware, and they don't want you like jumping the OS, so they yeah. just make it as crappy as possible. And well, <laughs> and I think part of their problem so you don't there want is to? they've moved a lot of their developers from the Mac OS team over to the iOS team. Oh. And so you're seeing a lot of really crazy cutting-edge development happening in iOS and not in Mac OS. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's the entry level is Mac OS. Man, that P-list business makes me want to set a couch on fire. Well, you know, one thing Apple Apple's slogan, remember the old slogan, it just works? Yeah. Well, each if you version, know where we hid stuff. <laughs> each version of Mac OS lately has been breaking things in a pretty big way. So they've nice. been doing a lot of rapid change. You know, there was the move to 64-bit. There yep. was the new security sub-layer. Yep. Now there's the, the M1 arm. processors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a lot in just a six-year mm. span. So they're really... I feel like they're pushing their limits. Too much, too, yeah, too fast, yeah. yeah. They just yeah. added a question mark to the end of that slogan. Now it, it just works. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. Well, so whenever you uh, go into a company and you rob them, make sure you ask for the MacBooks in non-sequential yeah. uh, numbers. That's right. Now, yeah. or yeah. until this idea. comes out. Because hey, otherwise they'll be able to track it. Down. I mean, at twenty five hundred bucks a pop or whatever these things are going for, that would be a pretty good payday. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, everyone else trying to steal the data. I'll just take the actual Mac. Yeah, Thank just you. give me that hardware, man. I'm about to be a millionaire. <laughs> oh, exactly. All right, our next article is from netcraft.com. 3.6 million websites taken offline after fire at OVH data centers. That That's not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. no, that's bad. Isn't, isn't the point here it's like distributed in the cloud? Sure. But so, do they have like multiple fires at multiple uh, locations? OVH is a cloud hosting provider that is based out of France. And they have a unique model. They've actually been around for about 10 years. Uh, they operate basically with these shipping containers. So they take the shipping containers, they fill them up with a thousand servers, and they stack them up. And kindling. They put and, kindling under. Well, you know, the, the, I mean, if you think about it, the shipping container is metal. Yeah. The servers are metal. So there's not a whole lot of flammable material here. But uh, but they built out that Something data center. Something was flammable. Several times. Uh, so they actually had four data centers that were in one physical location. And that's not uncommon. Like Amazon does that, right? So if you look at US East, you have US East 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. So it's five data centers that are all right next to each other. So that's what OVH was doing. They had four data centers all right next to each other. Uh, and a fire broke out. Right. And not I'm not talking about a little fire. Like if you Google and look at the pictures, it's a total towering inferno like Steve McQueen is climbing up this building. Uh, it, it's in bad shape. So uh, it completely 
completely took out two of their data centers, damaged a third. Their fourth data center was actually uh, unharmed, uh, but it was a massive fire. And basically, when people move to the cloud, they trust the cloud providers to provide a lot of things that they don't have, like better physical security and fire suppression and redundancy and so on. And OVH did a lot of that, right? But a physical location is a physical location and something can wipe it out. And so we got a quick glimpse last week of what it looks like when people put all of their services in one data center and don't distribute out. So you end up with a massive outage like this. Now, most of these companies do have backups or were replicating somewhere else and brought their sites back up somewhere else, but it does highlight the weakness. And we're only now getting details out. One of the founders of OVH has uh, put forth his theory, which is not a, you know, he doesn't have the evidence to back this, but they had just the day before done some massive maintenance on some of their UPS units, their power supply, uninterruptible power supplies. Uh, and for a data center, these aren't like our normal UPS that you stick under your desk or takes up 3U in a rack. These are massive UPSs with tons of car batteries and things like that strung in uh, in serial. And so he, he really suspects that one of those is what started the fire. And that means it wasn't a normal fire. It was a chemical fire. Right. And that's why it was able to spread through all of these shipping containers and effectively destroy it. I think he's just got a bunch of gambling debts. Yeah. <laughs> now he's going to get an insurance payout. He, yeah, he, he just added that new insurance plan the day before. Yeah. Oh, man. And then we switched, switched out those UPSs, and yeah. lo and behold, the fire started. You know, I, I know you're joking, <laughs> yes. but at the same time, we've seen so much weird this stuff. This does kind of happen. Like with Bitcoin and all that. you got to think, these people are engineers, right? They're, their job is to outthink problems. And if yeah. he's got a massive gambling debt issue... He's going to outthink that hey, problem. <laughs> uh, OVH has been known to host uh, illegal content. Uh, they have been known to uh, they have a number of command and control servers that have been hosted out of their data center. They have not really acted to remove. So they have come under some scrutiny over the years. Uh, it's I got it's a possibility. I mean, <laughs> if, if they were doing something nefarious, because you, you hear yeah. about these Bitcoin exchanges where like, oh, hackers just stole $5 billion. And by hackers, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> and then two weeks later, oh, why does the CEO have $2 billion yeah. in Bitcoin? Where'd why? that come from? So I, I can't do a French gangster accent, but I'm sure it was like, it'd be a shame if something would have happened all your, uh, yeah. your servers here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really break my heart to see that. <laughs> there probably is a way to say that with a French accent, yeah. but we yeah. it would just sound romantic. <laughs> yeah. Man, the way you threaten me yeah. just gets me right here. <laughs> no one takes me seriously. <laughs> so, uh, so anyhow, the lesson here is if you use a cloud provider, remember that no one is infallible, that a, a data center can just be destroyed. So you need to make sure you have some geo-redundancy baked into your solution when it makes economical sense. It doesn't make sense doesn't for everybody, sense. right? Uh, if you're down for two days, does that shut your company down? Just many companies can withstand and a two-day outage. So keep that in mind. Can you ask for like a map of the data center and be like, hey, I've got my my uh, all my data here and I want to have a backup. I want to make sure it's on the other side of the facility. Yeah, or like, uh, so I'm looking at the map here and I notice you've got a bin for oily rags. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's cheaper to be on that server, is what you're that, telling me? Is that how that goes? That's weird. All right. Fact. Yeah, fact. <laughs> that all checks out. <laughs> All right, our next article is back over at ArsTechnica.com. Hackers access security cameras inside Cloudflare, jails, and hospitals. The cloud-based uh, cloud camera service Verkata exposed hard-coded passwords and its customers. So did this happen prior to the Cloudflare issues? Or no, I'm thinking I'm 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 mixing up SolarWinds. Yeah, okay. Yep. yeah, okay, good. 
So, you know, that would have been bad. I had never heard of, I don't know if it's Verkata or Verkata, uh, either way. A million of these. You're not supposed to have heard of them, I think. (laughs) I had not heard of them until November of last year where their ads, somehow I got, you know, marketing people tag you. And somehow I got tagged. And so I was seeing Verkata advertisements everywhere. And, uh, you know, they were a Silicon Valley startup. Uh, they had received funding, a couple of rounds of funding, I believe. So you're just building up and working in that IP camera space. And we've talked about it on TechNado over the years. Like IP cameras are a target. Uh, you know, they're, they're IoT things that when they're compromised, they give people a foothold and potentially the ability to watch and listen to things that are going on around them. Crazy voyeurs out there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. Well, Verkata first made it into the news when it turned out that their their sales manager was using the cameras to rank their uh, female employees' beauty, uh, as Ooh. well as to berate people on the length of their bathroom visits. So that, that was is, that's frowned upon in polite society. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was their scandal at the end of last year. So that kind of put them on the radar. But this one's bigger. Uh, basically, they had a test or research server of some sort that they exposed to the internet. Hackers were able to get into it and find where it had hard-coded admin privilege, uh, admin credentials, which then worked on the production system, which then gave them full access to Verkata's network, which means anybody who had Verkata cameras, they technically had access. And it, they are finding where they accessed uh, many cameras at Tesla's factories, uh, or as, as Peter says, at Tesla's factories. <laughs> is, that, is that wrong? Uh, Listen, Nikolai would slap you in the I'm mouth. saying the name of the company, not the dude. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we're able to look at those. Uh, cameras at jails, hospitals. I mean, there were tons of companies. Because this, this is a Silicon Valley darling, it's right? Like you talking about PII. To, to yeah. your own, uh, ni- what is it, 90 Days In or whatever that show <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Watching the jail cameras. Yeah, I don't need to watch their show. I got, no, I got, I got it right here. This, this oh, guy's man. got 90 He's days. getting ready to get stuck with a shiv. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, the, the lesson here, I think, is uh, just because somebody's a Silicon Valley darling doesn't necessarily mean they're doing things right. And even some of the big players, like people forget Slack. Slack is you know this trusted chat platform. Everybody loves it. But I think it was their second year of business. They got completely 100% total hacked. Uh, user passwords, <laughs> chat history, everything. It was great. Total compromise. Silicon Valley darling. Yeah. And so that allowed them to survive that controversy. I don't know, because Verkata is coming off of the back of another controversy, I don't know how well they'll survive this one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm starting to just, like, in my mind wonder, what was the bigger security issue? The fact that they hard-coded creds or that they had an internal server that someone said, you know what I need to do? Point it toward the internet. And, yeah. you know, I feel like that was probably the bigger faux pas than it was because if it is internal, then you're less likely for a problem if you're hard cutting creds into something. Just yeah. Because it's not looking at anything. No one's, no one's going to access it except someone that's already internal. But as soon as you flip that, yeah, let's do the internet thing switch, now you've got a, a tire fire of an issue. And I think for people that buy a cheap Chinese camera off of Amazon, they expect it to be vulnerable, oh, right. <laughs> at least to some well, degree. Well, if you've got the creds, you don't even need to hack the thing. You just now have access. Yeah. But when it's a camera out of a, you know, a U.S. company based out of Silicon Valley, I right. think we give them a little more benefit of the doubt, and this shows us we should yeah, not. Right. Zero trust environments, <laughs> right? That's, that's what it's all about. I was seeing somebody was saying uh, that they've decided from now on for every single thing that they sign up for they will create a new email address with its own password that's going to be like lastpass generated or whatever so every single login will have a different email address different mm-hmm. thing and i'm like that's a super like secure environment it's kind of a managerial nightmare but 
It is, but it also has the added benefit that you can figure out who's reselling your information. That's true. When you start getting ads on an address that you only used at Netflix, right. then you know that's where it came from. Yeah, I stick in Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey. Right. I like <laughs> it. This is the kind of problem that just changing their name will fix, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. All of a sudden, there'll be some new camera manufacturer. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's what airlines do, right? When they have a crash, yeah. they just change their name. Yeah, was it was it ValueJet, AirTran became AirTran, or vice versa? Yeah, I don't remember the order. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, fun one. All right, our next article is uh, is uh, hmm, another fun one, and this is in our segment that makes no sense. You make no sense. Uh, it make no sense. It, it, it make no sense. Uh, it make no sense. What you talking about, Willis? All right, and we use this um, this segment for <laughs> articles where the headline you just read and go, do what? No uh, so this one is from PCMag.com. Panasonic made a companion robot that farts. All right, so <laughs> yep, I, and I read this article assuming it was like, oh well, this they have this toy that does all these things, and it happens to fart too, and then I just picked that because it's clickbait. It really just seems like this doesn't do much but fart. Still not as dumb as a nifty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were talking about those offline. Uh, we're gonna do a special episode yeah, on but, NFTs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, this um, so it's just like a a toy a a. Pet, a virtual pet, essentially. <laughs> what are those Tomagachis and things like that? Oh, yeah. But yeah, I remember but those. This one just sits yeah. there, doesn't doesn't move, stationary. I can look around and and say some phrases, but then in Japanese, right? This, yeah, it's all Japanese. Yeah, but then it just, uh, you know, there you go. So you know, you mentioned Tamagotchis. Uh, I had explained that to my my oldest son. He's twelve, and he said, "You know, oh, I want to try that." And so I went. And they, they still sell yeah, them. You still get them. And so yeah. I got yeah. a official Tamagotchi. I think it cost fifteen bucks. Uh, it lasted about a day. And he's like, "Dad, this thing whines a lot. Like it's yeah. constantly fed." Well, you know, that's that's how we that's keep you idea. alive. Yeah, but you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm real, Dad. I'm a real boy. But uh, <laughs> but I think this this thing. What, what is it even called? Nikobo? Nikobo. Nikobo, yeah. So, uh, so Nikobo. this little robot, I think, highlights Nikobo. some of the real problems we have with IoT and e-waste and <laughs> just e-waste. the crap that we buy. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we building this? Because it's not just a ball that farts, right? It, it actually is internet connected. Uh, it, it's, it's an internet connected. But all ball it does, that like, is like you pick it up and you like pet it or whatever, and it responds. By farting on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. From so, time to time. Not so every time, obviously. We found this article last week right, because it was suggested. What, what was it suggested off of? What that was the, uh, we were talking about the, would you get a tattoo, oh, a tattoo from, a robot. from a robot? And, and when I saw like the suggested articles down at the bottom, it was like, robot that farts. And it's funny, when I was looking yeah. at this last night, I was looking at the suggested articles from here, and, it, and <laughs> Panasonic also has this wearable device that is basically just like, the the blinders you put on a horse okay it's, it you just sit uh, stick it around you and it's got headphones built in as well and so it's so you can focus or so i could walk by and go oh D- daniel's trying to focus right now oh like mess I'm, with him. I'm i'm plugged in yeah you're in the zone probably i mean that would kind of be helpful in uh the open environment that yeah, we have like the article here. pointed out how much yeah. you look like an idiot <laughs> i'm it. sure you do but or pen- you could just give everybody like cubicles or offices that would be right but i, I want to know what who's making these decisions at panasonic to be like well, all right, fart and robot work. Let's uh, work on so the human in, blinders now. In their defense, it's not like one of their executives came down and said, that's it, it's fart bot time, right? <laughs> uh, somebody I'll, in their research awesome. lab <laughs> floated this as an idea, and so they posted it on a crowd, pro, uh, 
crowdfunding platform. That's harder to say than it should be. Um, not Kickstarter. Uh, it's one that's apparently more popular over in Asia. I do not know how to say it. Makuwak? Mac- Where's it at? Nailed it. Makuake dot com. Oh, Maki Maki Makuake. Is it Hawaiian? Yeah, no, it's um, that's Japanese. <laughs> Malik, right. Maliki, well, there we go. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, so anyhow, they put it on there. They uh, their goal was to raise, I believe, it was ten million yen, which I don't know what that is. Ninety five thousand dollars, it says. All right, so ninety five thousand dollars in order to make US. a fart bot, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and they got it. It's one hundred fifteen percent funded. So they just floated it out here as like this might be a bad idea. Well. People said, no, it's a great idea. We well, love it. We I don't know it. why, but I see some like crazy Texan is like the head of Panasonic, and he, he ran across this Makuake platform and was like, man, this thing's amazing. You know what I need, boys? I need me that farting robot make it happen. <laughs> like, like, that's the business meeting in my mind. For it kind of makes me want to see like what's the dumbest idea I could get to float on – uh, yeah. On like Kickstarter, but the problem would be like I wouldn't want to float something dumb out and it makes it, and then I actually like, have oh, to oh, grab yeah. it out now. <laughs> like let's make a ham and cheese sandwich that throws up or something, like spits the ham and cheese out, mm-hmm. and makes a pukey noise. There you go. Well, well here, here's the the worst thing about this product: it has a ten dollar a month subscription. Oh, what? Ah, uh, so this is a SaaS thing. I didn't see that. It's at the oh very bottom. Yeah. Oh, there it is. It says one thing that holds back sales is the need to pay a after $10 the first six subscription months. after the first six months, so it can get regular software updates, so it can have like what different sounds. Huh. Like I don't. Yeah. Well, you got to get like the the wet farts, the di- you know the really like firecrackery farts. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Uh, well, there we go. So this is our society, and uh, you know our IoT stuff is just causing the general decline yeah. of civilization. Uh, and combine this with nifties, like Daniel mentioned, and I think we're all doomed. Yeah. Uh, we should pick a good article about those next week. I mean, yeah. we should have talked about there was that big JPEG that sold for like 60 something million dollars Maybe we could just next week Ooh. we'll do a special on the heck is trying jpegs for 60 million bucks idiots I'll, I'll make you one right now <laughs> millennials you tell me what you want i'll build it those damn millennials <laughs> yeah yeah they're yep. ruining everything yeah and uh old jack dempsey has the the first tweet nifty is up for auction i think it's so over i did 2. see 5 that i didn't now. know that was what was considered I, i'm new to the nifty scene everyone so yeah. good um Total congrats bs yeah Totally. Sounds like but it. But I, I do like your idea. Technado nifties. <laughs> yeah, hey, this is a dumb idea. We should do that. If anyone in the in the comments let us know uh what from this episode you would like to buy for a million dollars and yeah. we will we will sell it to you right now. I mean oh, let's not kid ourselves. Five bucks? Five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'll make a gif of it for five bucks. I yeah. do that. It's yes. pretty easy. You know, I, I will say though, we joked last week about uh, Don made the comment, oh, our, our ten listeners, blah blah blah. We had a, a bunch of people let us know that they're one of those ten listeners. All two of them. And it seemed like more than ten, maybe. I, I it's go the back same person with different accounts. So. <laughs> There's that guy that has a different email address for yeah, each thing. Right. Like, oh crap! Like, I'm logged he, into this thing. He like subscribed ten ways. times, and we yeah. appreciate that. Thank you to him. <laughs> All right, want to let you know about a couple things coming up, uh, first of which involves Daniel here. Uh, we've got a webinar on Thursday, March 25th, the top five CTFs to learn cybersecurity, gaming your way to a hacking career. That will be Daniel and John Hammond, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, March 25th. What's uh, happening? You're going to do a <laughs> yeah. webinar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With John Actually, it's going to be pretty rad. Uh, I can't wait for that. John is a super cool guy, super smart dude. Got some great YouTube content, so I've I've followed him for quite some time. So I was I was pretty thrilled to hear that we were gonna have the opportunity to have a conversation with him about CTFs. He does a lot of CTF stuff and posts about it, so yeah. it's gonna be great to see how you can utilize what he thinks is gonna be really cool platforms to help you 
empower yourself into your career. So Head to uh, itpro.tv slash webinars to register for that one or any of the uh, upcoming or past webinars that we've had. I used to play a lot of Capture the Flag in, in Boy Scouts uh, growing oh. up, so I'm sure I'll uh, understand everything that's going no, on. You had a hacking team in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> no, no, no it was, this was in the woods. Ah, uh-huh. I believe it's just the Scouts now. Uh, oh, I'm fine. Uh, is that right? I think so. I don't yeah, know. no, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm I'm unaffiliated. <laughs> Eagle Scout. Eagle Scout right here. Wow. Yeah. Trustworthy, loyal, Hardcore. helpful, friendly, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Well, look at that. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, also have <laughs> a March free weekend coming up. Uh, that is the 20th and 21st of this month, and it is Cisco. Uh, we've got Cisco CCNA, uh, CyberOps Associates, CCNP, a bunch of different courses there, uh, DevNet Associate, all for free uh, this month. That I thought is- you were talking about the bum wine. <laughs> what Cisco? You don't know? Oh no! Yeah. No. Oh, apparently you've never mind about my past. I made a lot of I made a lot of thong song jokes. Uh, oh, oh, that's yeah, Cisco. During, yeah. uh, but like oh, ahead of the webinar with Man, Ronnie and do David not Bumble. Put that in my head. That Neither of song. them knew what I was talking about. I will. That that's gonna like haunt me now. Or the food sing. services company. That's it's, true. Yeah. Well, the, apparently the thong song didn't make it across the pond to David Bumble. Oh um, man, he so missed uh, out. I gotta, I gotta send that over to him. Ah, uh, he's done. He's done. Yeah. Like dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, why don't you head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, there you can uh, get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal plan. And you can also request a team trial and learn all about the great features like the Pro Portal that are available to teams so that they can watch and learn with ITPro TV. That's at go.itpro.tv slash technado. There you go. Woo-hoo. That's everything. There it is. All right. Thank you so much to Al David. Uh, from model eight, no nine, model nine. <laughs> uh, Switched he, up to the English version of his name. Yeah, because this is America, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not here anymore. To <laughs> fight me with his Mossad, yeah. uh, he yes. will kill you dead. Mm-hmm. Bare hands. That's right. Puts you with those other bodies he's buried. Yeah, his actual bare hands. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, happy uh, happy St. Pat's Day, and uh, we will see you guys next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.